Today in our series of Aliveness Together, uh, we are looking at something called For the Sake of the World. Aliveness Together for the Sake of the World. Um, <clears throat> maybe this is the, the idea that inspired this whole conversation. Uh, that when we gather as a people, as a church, and experience the goodness of God, uh, the blessings of God, it should not end with us. Um, we should bring one another along. And more importantly, so many people who are missing out on that goodness, on, on, on living without a connection to the, to, to, to the goodness of God. And so what does it look like for us as a church to see ourselves uh, as existing for the sake of the world? I came across a quote by a gentleman known as William Temple who says, the church is the only institution that exists for those not its members. The church is the only institution that exists for those not its members. Um, and so today maybe it's a conversation of asking ourselves, uh, do we consciously see ourselves that way? Why did you come here today, right? Did you just come to attend church, to, to be in God's presence, to, to be blessed of God? Why are you a member of a church community like this? What would it take for us to begin taking steps to, of seeing ourselves? Um, in the words of William Temple, we exist for those who are not connected here. We exist for that. And, um, and so I, it's never been an easy invitation. What does that look like in our everyday life? What does that look like in our everyday life? And so for the next couple of minutes, I just want to um, share with you a few thoughts that might help us along that journey, uh, where you begin to see yourself as, 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 as the church that exists for those, not its members. And um, there are some few words from the Gospel of Mark that I love that can begin inspiring us and challenging us to that posture. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 20. Mark 1, 14 to 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of, the, of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Mark 1, 14 to 20. Um, So the gospel writers, uh, according to Christian tradition, they are called evangelists, the four evangelists. That's how history loves to remember the gospel writers. And um, it seems like there's something about the early church uh, that was so central to their identity that they even called them uh, evangelists. The, four, the, the gospel itself, the word gospel means 
good news. And so perhaps evangelists were tellers of good news. Um, evangelists, you know, comes from a Greek word that means good news. Good news. So the four evangelists were tellers of the good news. And the way even Mark opens the gospel, he begins by saying, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's like every writer of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were just trying to capture um, the story of Jesus for those early believers. And the story itself was good news. And so you can see um, here Mark beginning to say, uh, Jesus was proclaiming the good news of God. Everything was about good news. And that has to be central for us as in our Christian identity. Um, are you part of something good? Is your following Jesus um, anchored that this is very good? This is good news. It has to sound like good news. Central to the consciousness of the early church was that they were a movement that was about bringing the good news to people. Um, so I wonder what it might look like for us to see it as really, really good news. So everything that happens in the Gospel of Mark from up until this point, from verse 1 to 20, seems like it's a preamble, the preamble of the Gospel of Mark. He's just laying what this is all about. He begins by saying, this is the beginning of the good news. And then he goes on to talk about John, the one who was prophesied as a voice in the desert preparing the way. And he goes, he shares a little bit about John the Baptist, his message of repentance. And then from there, Jesus comes to the Jordan and he's baptized by John. Immediately, Jesus leaves to the wilderness. Um, and then we come to the passage that we just read. So Mark wants to imply that after the wilderness, this is what happened. Maybe John was arrested. And Mark says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming, the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So I thought, I, I, as I was reflecting upon this story, I realized that one of the important things about it is where it takes place, Galilee. And so there's the, I have a map here. Um, yes, there it is. So this is a broad map of that world during Jesus' time. You know, you can see the big areas. There's Galilee over there, Samaria, Judea. And in Judea, you have uh, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, you know. So you can imagine Joseph and Mary lived there and had to journey to Bethlehem for Jesus to be born and then maybe go back to Nazareth. Uh, so this is the land where the story happens. This is the land where the story happens. Uh, you know, it, Jesus begins here, eventually ends up here where the crucifixion takes place. Uh, let's go to the next map. Um, so the next map is just zooming in into the area of Galilee. Galilee. Jesus came back to Galilee. So he grew up here. He moved to the Jordan here, was baptized by John. I think it should be this side. I don't think he went up north because this is still Jordan. And then he went to the wilderness somewhere. And then after the wilderness, he returns to Galilee. And he begins to proclaim the good news of God. And these are the words he speaks. The time is fulfilled. 
Uh, the kingdom of God has come near. Uh, the, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Yeah, so you can see in this region that borders the Sea of Galilee, there's Nazareth, there's Cana, there's Capernaum. In fact, Luke talks that uh, the initial years of his ministry, uh, Jesus was based in, in, in that region of Capernaum. So Mark was very deliberate in just showing this is where it takes place and also in capturing the opening words of the ministry of Jesus. The opening words of the ministry of Jesus. And when you think about it deeply, these are not just opening words. They are a summary. They, 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 if you can sum up the entire message and purpose of Jesus, it would be summed up in these words. In this one sentence, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This was to be the core message of Jesus. This was to be what the work of Jesus Christ was about. He came announcing, announcing the kingdom of God. I have something to tell you. He moved around this region, we are told. All those places. Announcing. The time is now. The age has finally arrived. The moment is now. The kingdom of God is a reality that we can experience. Change your ways and embrace that kingdom. What we have here in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 is an announcement and an invitation. Jesus is announcing a new and radical idea. The time has finally come to experience the kingdom of God. And Jesus is also making a radical invitation. It resembles a lot what John was sharing previously. Repent, repent. So Jesus is saying, repent and believe in the good news. You know, for a moment, I want you to imagine Jesus moving around that region. Little town to little town, standing at the street corners or in the marketplaces and shouting out, the time is fulfilled. The time is now. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and receive the good news. So he's moving around and he's shouting. So I want you to imagine, to picture him just walking around this region. And I want you to imagine and ask yourself, what were the people who are hearing this understanding at that time? What were they hearing? What did it mean to them? What did it mean to them? One of the thoughts I have is that some, some of these people may have thought, well, here comes another teacher, because that was not the first time a teacher had come along. But in as much as he was one more teacher, they may have thought, well, this sounds like something new. We haven't had anyone with this kind of message. It was a bit of a radical message. They would, it would be familiar because it echoes what the prophets had been longing for. A time where God would rule and reign in the hearts of people. But then here comes this guy who's saying that time has finally come. The kingdom of God is here now. Embrace it. Change your ways and embrace it. So they may have thought, wow, um, of all the teachers we have had, this one is bringing 
a new proclamation, a new message. But I also want to think that it may have been like you and I who are thinking, okay, you have announced that, but what does that really mean? What does that really mean right now, right here in my everyday life? It's almost like they were thinking, please offer to us a little bit more explanation of what you mean, that the kingdom of God is here, repent and believe in the good news. And that is what Jesus sets out to do with the rest of his life, with, the, with all that he taught and with his entire ministry. And that's why I think uh, those opening words as captured by Mark were, uh, were not just the opening words, but they were also a summary of all that Jesus taught and did and demonstrated. The kingdom of God had come near and we are to live in that reality. It may be complex to explain what the kingdom of God is. It's a tough concept to explain. No one statement captures it all. Even for Jesus, he told stories and he taught about the kingdom of God in so many different words. Um, at some point he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. At some point, he says the kingdom of God is like a man who had two sons. The younger came to him and said, give me my share of the wealth. And I always wonder where I was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so he, he, he tells all these stories and all these parables and all these sayings about the kingdom of God. And why does he do that? Why does he do that? You know, for, for me, I think... Jesus realizes that, um, or rather, the main task of Jesus was to invite us to live in the reality of God's kingdom. And Jesus knew that one thing we love to do is to explain things, is to name them, is to frame them. It means, but ultimately, he would have wanted us to look at who he is and get a picture that this is what it looks like to live in the reality of the kingdom of God. And so um, Mark chapter 1 verse 14 to 20 presents us with a wonderful foundation of what it means to be a Christian. Central to it is Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God, inviting us on board by asking us to repent and believe in the good news and bringing it all together by inviting us to follow him. So one of the ways to define what it means to be a Christian is that it is to live the reality of the kingdom of God in our world as we follow Jesus, who is the model of what it looks like, um, of what it looks like to live in that reality of the kingdom. And I think this is why after he proclaims the kingdom of heaven and then he says, repent and believe, according to this passage that we've just read, the next thing he does is that he calls Peter, he calls, he calls Simon, he calls Andrew, he calls James and his brother John. So Jesus, we are told in verse 16, as Jesus passed along the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea. It's interesting that this uh, 
this map is here, right? So he was moving all around. Then as he's going around this region, he sees Peter and his brother um, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Follow me, and I will make you see what this is all about. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. It's almost like Jesus knew if he left it at just a theoretical explanation, it would be so hard for us to understand what he was all about. So after he proclaims his message, after he says, this is what I'm all about, the kingdom of God has come near, and this is the moment. Repent and believe the good news. The next thing he does is to say, come, follow me. And I see a very important progression for, for us over there. <laughs> um, after Jesus um, proclaims the kingdom of heaven, this is not a prop or anything, but who knows? <laughs> who knows uh, what it has to do with the kingdom of heaven? I have never seen a chicken in this place since I arrived. And that, yeah, um, sour, sour. Observe and reflect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he, this, the, this is the message, the kingdom of heaven repent and believe in the good news, then he says, follow me. It is, uh, the, the importance of that passage is not that one day, one time, along this, the, the, the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, James and John, and called to them and said, follow me. The importance of this story is that it happens every time, everywhere. Jesus sees each one of us, the message is the same. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. Repent. And then he says, follow me. And so that is why um, to be a Christian is to strive to live the reality of God's kingdom as we follow Jesus, who is the model of what that looks like. Do you see yourself that way as a Christian? Because it has great ramifications. And so to be a Christian is primarily to be a follower of Jesus. And so today, I want to give you a couple of thoughts of what that looks like um, for us. The first one is to deepen our knowledge of Jesus. Deepening our knowledge of Jesus. We, it is important for us to, to pay attention to the life of Jesus. To pay attention to the story of Jesus. Who is this Jesus and what did he do? We will need to be voracious students of the life of Jesus primarily told in the Gospels and in the Scriptures. We will need to understand, what did he teach? What are these teachings? We need to hold them, we need to strive to understand them, and we need to apply them and to, in our lives and to leave them out. The story of Jesus has to be one of the core stories of our lives. Um, we need to learn that story until we begin to know the person that Jesus was in deeper ways. You know, I was looking at this map um, earlier, and I thought to myself, well, what, you know, as, as we understand the story of Jesus, when you look at a map like this, what happened in Cana? 
in that story. What happened in Nazareth? What happened in Capernaum? What happened in Bethsaida? And you can go to that first map that has more of those scenes, right? So many, so much of the story of Jesus happens in this region. Something happens when he's in Samaria. Something happens when he's in Jericho. Some healings and all that. Um, something happens in Nine. Um, yeah, all. That is an example um, of, of that. The story of Jesus is a story that happens in a particular place with particular people going around their lives. And so we are invited to immerse ourselves into that story. We cannot follow whom we do not know. Following means I want to know who this Jesus was and what he was all about so I can follow him. Um, perhaps that is why uh, one of the ways we apply this in our community is that we have adopted aspects of the liturgical year into the cycles of our, of, of our church community uh, throughout the year. The liturgical year is a way in which the ancient church adapted the life of Jesus into our calendar year. And so it begins with a season called Advent, four weeks before Christmas, um, often beginning with the last Sunday of November, a season of prayer and reflecting on what the coming of Jesus means. Then it's followed by a season called uh, the Christmas season, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Then after that, there's a season called Epiphany, that is about the life and ministry of Jesus being revealed to people. Then there comes a season called Lent, which is six weeks uh, before Easter, a time of prayer, fasting, and service. It is a season where we get to reflect on our own following of Jesus, and it is modeled after the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness. After Lent comes the Eastertide season, a period of seven weeks from Resurrection Sunday to Pentecost, where we reflect on what resurrection means. And so you can begin to see they took major milestones in the life of Jesus and organized them around the Christian calendar. After Pentecost comes a long season, about six months, called Ordinary Times, where we are just simply supposed to apply uh, the teachings of the life of Jesus. And then the cycle repeats itself again. The liturgical calendar reminds us of what is the core story of our lives. That as we go through life, the ebbs and flows of the seasons, the changing, um, the, the changes we see in the world around us, there is another story as if it's an undercurrent, a constant story happening that reminds us that of all the things happening, the story of Jesus is the core story of our lives. Um, so the first invitation is to deepen our knowledge of Jesus. Study the Gospels. Know these stories. Uh, may these names ring a bell. Oh, this is what happened here. And I can assure you that the more we know Jesus, the closer we follow. The more we know his teachings, the, the higher the chances that we will grapple with them. We will attempt to apply them. Um, we will devote ourselves to them. We follow Jesus. And then the second one would be to deepen our connection with Jesus. Um, it is closely related to the first one. 
But I want to add this. The more, Jesus is more than just a historical figure. Jesus is a presence that is alive and active even in these moments. The Gospels present us with a portrait of Jesus while he was on earth, while he moved through the towns and villages and taught and healed, um, all the way to his death and resurrection. And they do that so that we can continue to relate to him in our present. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says this, Consequently, he is able, to, he is able for all time to save those who approach God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is alive, present, and active in our lives. And so even as we know him, as we know his stories and his teachings, we are invited to connect with him, to connect with his presence, um, and, to, and to be in relationship with him, to trust Jesus to pray to Jesus, to seek his help, his wisdom, and his light, to be open to his saving power, to seek his guidance, to depend on his power to help us, and to discover what grace is, um, the unmerited favor of God. This brings me to um, a note um, on, on when we falter in our following of Jesus. Um, and that is captured well by Peter. So Peter was, according to what we, we, we read, if you can go back to the map, Peter was one of the first disciples that was called. And um, towards the end of the Gospel of John, in John chapter 21, uh, we see Jesus risen, and it opens with the words that Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And so um, there was a long time between when Jesus lived and when the Gospel of John was written. People believe that Jesus uh, may have been crucified around the, AD, the year AD 33. The Gospel of John was written around the year, the year AD 90. And so between then, decades had passed, and what had happened is that there was a great um, Romanization of the entire region. So the Sea of Galilee was known more as uh, the Sea of Tiberias. So John chapter 21 opens with the words that God, uh, Jesus reveals himself to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he was already there. The disciples were fishing all night and they had caught nothing. Then he told them, just try again. And they caught so much fish. And they brought some of the fish to a fire that Jesus had already prepared that had some bread cooking on it. And so they brought some of the fish and um, they, grilled, uh, they grilled it and ate it together with the bread. They ate a... Uh, 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 breakfast of, um, of grilled fish and, and bread. It's so interesting that last week we were talking about Jesus feeding people with bread and fish. And here he is again. Looks like, what, what was Jesus' favorite meal? Right? <laughs> bread and fish. Right? So they eat and once they eat, he pulls Peter aside and asks him, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then Peter says, you know everything. I love you. 
After Peter answers, Jesus asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, yes, you know, I love you. A third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, you know, almost with anger, come on, Lord, you know everything, you know I love you. Right? He, he, he asked him about love three times that was matching the three times that Peter had denied Jesus before he was crucified. Um, and so what had happened is when Peter had denied Jesus, he must have felt dejected by what he had done. He must have felt that he let down his Lord so much. After all this time, following Jesus, he lets him down. But he hangs around. And one of the things that Jesus had to do during that time after he resurrected was to go to Peter and to bring him back to the fold and to reassure him of his love three times, three times. Why I appreciate this story is that none of us will follow Jesus perfectly. And in as much as we're going to study his story, in as much as we're going to attempt to apply his teachings to our lives, we will also falter. And I love that this story is here because even as we depend on the wisdom, on the light, on the saving power of Jesus, we have to depend on the grace of Jesus. It is not all about our effort. I am happy that this story is here, that it is Jesus who finds Peter in his lostness and brings him back. And it almost tells us that um, all that we need is an openness, allowing ourselves to be found again and again and to be brought back. Maybe that's why Jesus, in his core message, he has this word, repent and believe. That is something we have to do constantly. We have to pause every so often and ask ourselves, how have I been following Jesus lately? To the throne of grace, where you may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. It is a very sustaining verse in our journey of following. And so, to, to know to deepen our knowledge of Jesus and to deepen um, our connection to Jesus, his living presence in our life and his grace. And so once we follow, then we can come back to where we began for the sake of the world, for the sake of the world. Initially by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus calls Peter and tells him, Follow me and I will make you fish for people. Following was not an end in itself. It was like, follow me. And as I try to onboard people in the kingdom of heaven, you will also be a part of that. And at the end, as we have seen in the gospel of John, after Jesus tells Peter, do you love me? He also tells him, feed my sheep. Following Jesus leads us to being formed in him. We are different people. The Peter whom Jesus was speaking to on that early morning after resurrection was a completely different Peter than the one who dropped the nets initially in Mark. He had been shaped and transformed by being with Jesus. So following Jesus leads us to being formed in the ways of Jesus. And it leads us to living the reality of the kingdom of heaven. And when we do so, 
it is inevitable that we will bring others along. It will not end with us. We will be so joyful about the good news that we are living, about the transformation that we are experiencing, that we will ask ourselves, what does it look like? The point is not just to invite a friend to come to church with you. That's not the point. It's a good starting point. But what is the point from what we have said? The point is to invite a friend to live the reality of God's kingdom as they follow Jesus. To see them get to know who Jesus is. To see them understand the life and ways and teachings of Jesus. And to see them begin to live in accordance to that. Together with you. That's the point. So you can invite them to church. But you are on a bigger mission. My hope is that for us as a community, this becomes a core journey that we make. A life together in the reality of God's kingdom. As we follow Jesus, knowing that it is for the sake of the world around us. And hopefully this year, may we all make an effort to bring another along. And, 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 and the reason why Galilee is significant um, in this passage is that first of all it was Jesus' hometown we see Nazareth was there that's where he was and it is also where he calls his first disciples Peter, Andrew, James and John and he saw them while they were in the sea as fishermen for doing what fishermen do Jesus saw them Jesus saw them and he saw them in the context where they were. Um, Jesus meets each one of us. Jesus meets you in, in, in your very context. In your very context. The invitation to follow Jesus won't only happen in church. Church is a good uh, starting point. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation that comes to us every day. If you're a fisherman, as you fish... The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation that comes to us in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in our social spaces. That is where he sees you as you go about your life. And he says, come, follow me. Jesus wants you to follow him there, to grow as a friend and a follower of Jesus right there. And... And those are the places where we will bring others along. And so what happens when we gather as a church? What happens? What is the importance or significance of a day like today? This is only a rehearsal for what needs to happen the next couple of days in the, in the week. This is where you're reminded of a Jesus who says, come follow me. But he doesn't just say, come follow me here in this place. He says, come follow me. He sees you in your particular context and that's where he wants you to follow and I think as we strive to become followers then inevitably we will do a good job of bringing others along and inviting them to connect to that Jesus so let's pray our loving Jesus today we are grateful to gather in your presence as we open our minds and our hearts to your word to listen to your teachings to see you at work 
And today you're reminding us once again of what it means to follow you. Um, to look to you, to receive your words, to be students of the ways of Jesus, of the life of Jesus, to be shaped by that one story as we go about our everyday life. And also, Lord, to connect with you deeply. So this is our humble prayer. Help us. Help us. Help us realize that you are always the one who sees us and who calls us. And beyond that, you are also the one who empowers us to follow you. The whole journey is initiated and empowered by you. So Lord, we pray that we will be willing responders. It is not our own effort, but it's our own openness. So what does it look like for us to follow you? To leave the reality of God's kingdom in our everyday lives. As you send us from this place into our lives, help us to begin to see that. As we live through the months of, of the rest of the year, if there is one thing that we grow in, Lord, may it be the knowledge of who Jesus is. May that story come alive in us, increase in us. And may that story be one of the stories that profoundly shapes who we are in the everyday places of our lives. May we be better followers. That's our humble prayer. Teach us, Lord, what that looks like. Help us along that journey and help us to discover your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.